You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. All right, welcome to a post-game Vikings edition, a rare loss Purple Podcast. Uh, Judd Zolgad back here in the uh, 1500 ESPN studios. Matthew Collar in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, since you were there, sir, I will ask you this simple question. Where do you want to start to digest a 31-24 Vikings defeat? Whew, I mean, that's uh, that's a tough question because a lot happened during this game. I mean, the fact that they were able to come back despite all the mistakes that they made and then not finish the game. I mean, I guess it depends on how much you want to read into what this really means. Like, does this mean that if they have to go on the road in the playoffs against a team with a really good defensive line and a good quarterback, that they're not going to win? Because I I, I don't think that I would go quite that far, but there were times in this game where they had opportunities despite some of the mistakes, and they still weren't able to come through. They have the ball in their hands with one minute, 47 seconds left and can't drive down and win. And I was kind of uh, reminded of last year in a lot of ways here with, th- with this loss where, uh, you know, the offensive lineman going down and having the ball with a chance to go down and tie the game and, and, and you don't end up coming through. So, I mean, it's kind of a, a jumble of different storylines, but I think what it comes down to is just how much you read into this game as a sign of things to come, or is this no big deal and go into the last three games and try not to lose anybody significant? Rudolph drops a, a seam route pass on which he, he could have run for years. Thielen, the, the rarity of rarities, drops a touchdown pass. Early second half, Harrison Smith misses a tackle, which, by the way, is breaking news. And, and I could certainly uh, go down the, the laundry list of mistakes that were made. But, uh, Matthew, to me, this comes down to one thing and one thing only. The health of the offensive line, and in particular, Riley Reef at left tackle, who uh, who limped off with an ankle problem late in the third quarter there. What we saw, to me, in, in the uh, final quarter from this line was hauntingly similar and familiar to last year. If you get Elfline and Reef back and get that line back, I think this loss becomes a blip. If this loss, though, is a a precursor of things to potentially come, that to me is how you how you don't make a deep playoff run and is potentially devastating for what's been a great season so far. That's my well, two cents. I, yeah, no, and I agree, and I think that there should be some concern over the status of Riley Reese because I saw him in a walking boot leaving the game uh, or leaving the locker room. I mean, and and that's really not a great sign because if Riley Reese has to miss significant time or go into the playoffs without him. I don't think you're going to win. I mean, with respect to what Rashad Hill has been able to do as a backup right tackle, I think he's fit for that role. I think in the left tackle role, it might be trouble. Not T.J. Clemmings-level trouble, but trouble if you're facing an off, a defensive line like the Philadelphia Eagles or like the Seattle Seahawks. You need to be at 100%. And I, I think another part of this, too, is if the Vikings 
have to play from behind, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. If they have, if they can't run the ball, it's a problem. If the offensive line gets hurt, it's a problem. We've talked about this throughout the win streak. So many things were all clicking exactly right. And those things did not click today. Receivers dropped the ball. You had penalties on the defensive side, a couple of face masks that ended up keeping a drive alive. That over these last eight games, it felt like almost nothing went against the Vikings. And now all at once, they had a bunch of things go against them and they come out of here with a loss. So let's parcel th- this out. Uh, from what we saw today, give me what really concerns you and, and what you put in the bin of it was bound to to happen in a game. It's so it happened today, but really that you don't find to be all that concerning. Massive concern over the left tackle position. Yep. That's number one. Agreed. That if Riley Reef is not healthy, and even if he tries to come back and still isn't 100%, that is a big problem. I, I think we talked about this in the midway point, and I would still stay with it, that he's got an argument for being the MVP of the entire team. He, he has been that much of a difference maker at the left tackle position. He isn't the best player in the league, but the things that he can do there, uh, you know, the, the mobility that he has, the toughness that he brings, I mean, all of those things are super valuable. And he goes out, you saw the uh, Panthers pressure Keenum on almost every single drop back. And I would say, you know, the same thing for Elfline, although Elfline doesn't seem like it's going to be serious. It seems like that might be a one-week thing. But the health is number one at the very top of the list. At one point, Xavier Rhodes limps off for about the third or fourth straight week that he's limped off. Like You've got to find a way to get Xavier Rhodes 100% healthy. He did a fantastic job again today, as always. But you need him, if you're going into the playoffs, to be 100%. So health concerns about the health are at the very top of the list. I also saw... Kyle Rudolph leave in a walking boot, and he's been really important for them on third downs and in the red zone where they weren't as great today in the red zone. And then the rest of the stuff I think is mostly uh, just, you know, stuff happens. Harrison Smith misses a tackle. You're right. That's so bizarre. And I don't think that Adam Thielen will probably drop another pass for the rest of the year. But I would say, though, that the quarterback position today was a big problem. And I don't know how you can avoid mentioning it. I mean, things did go uh, the wrong way for, for uh, the offensive line and for the drops, and those aren't Case Keenum's fault. But he also didn't find ways to do much against the pressure outside of run the ball. And then, I mean, he gets them back in the game with a great play by Adam Thielen at the end to go in for the touchdown. But a lot of the day, I mean, he ends up with three turnovers, which is the big thing for Mike Zimmer, turning over the ball and giving Carolina more and more chances. And I think today we saw exactly what Case Keenum looks like when everything doesn't go his way. Which pick bugged you, both or just one? Um, really just really just one. Um, I mean, launching it down the field and having the guy turn around and make a great play that turns into essentially a punt, I don't think that that was a huge deal. The throw to Stefan Diggs yep. was inexcusable times a thousand. I mean, that's just, that is a zero-step drop, catch the ball, throw the throw the ball out there to the guy and let him run with it and to throw it so inaccurately. And that's what we've talked about a lot with Keenum is he has these bouts with inaccuracy and it showed up there. And of course, Stefan Diggs put that on himself, but he kind of put it after the game, like it, I'm going to blame it on myself. <laughs> but, yep. but he also said, but I'm not going to get to the ins and outs of it, which, you know, I'm not going to get into the technical parts of it, which is basically a way of saying, yeah, the throw was horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, in no way, shape, or form is that his fault. He tried to make a play. 
I mean, if anything, you if you were to go back in time, you'd ask Stefan Diggs to just let that ball go out of bounds. Just don't even jump. Just let it go because only bad things can happen when you jump for one of those throws. But, I mean, it, it was that one was terribly inaccurate. And I, I would say also that the strip sack would really bother me too because I think that we've had this idea that Keenum is great in the pocket because he sometimes makes these plays where, like he had one today where he avoids the sack. Yep. But – you know, today in the pocket wasn't really very good outside of the runs, and that was a big mistake. I thought held the ball too long, and we've seen him do that at times, and then he, it really ends up costing him, so he ends up with the turnovers, and I think that that right there uh, is going to kind of plant the seed a little bit with Mike Zimmer of doubting whether he can protect the ball in a game against a really good defense. That doesn't mean they're going back to Bridgewater next week. I don't think there's any chance of that, but I think that's the thing that really keeps Mike Zimmer up at night. Here's what you might have missed on a recent episode of the Raised by Wolves podcast. The Wolves have won two games in New Orleans now without Carl Anthony Towns really being a, a huge factor in either game. Well, and I think that was part of the problem and why they never really have beaten the Pelicans very often in recent years because Towns has not been able to outplay Anthony Davis. Right. Anthony Davis is just flat out better. I mean, he's one of the best big men in the league, so it's not too surprising. So if these teams are going to, you know, come down to the wire together and it's important to get to build towards these tiebreakers. So if the Wolves win one of the, they probably play them two more times. So they win one of the next two games against them. They're set. That's why that we can't just disregard November basketball and these early wins. And I think any time that you can get them, especially against an opponent who also figures to be in the mix is so key. You can find the Raised by Wolves podcast on iTunes or wherever it is you find your podcasts. Download and subscribe today. How about Twitter today, too? Immediately, is it Teddy time? You're really going to put Teddy in this game as a sacrificial lamb with that line? Folks, it wasn't going to happen. This was not, I mean, this, I just, it's so funny that if things start to go the least bit wrong, people are like, okay, put in Teddy now. The the offensive line was missing its center in both starting tackles. I don't think today was the time to put in Teddy. That's just me. No, no, not considering what Teddy's gone through. If we were talking about the old Teddy Bridgewater from 2015, he'd have a better chance of winning a game like this than Case Keenum, in my mind, because he played with an offensive line that looked a lot like this. It's just, it's, it is absolutely imperative that they have the offensive line healthy going into the playoffs. Yes. And there's another thing, too. Adam Thielen brought up something else that was really interesting to me, that, you know, Thielen is mostly kind of a by-the-book guy. And, and he wasn't really making a headline by saying this, but it's an interesting point that he mentioned playing from ahead versus playing from behind. And when you have a backup offensive line in there and you're trying to play from behind, you know that the other team is just going to pass rush like crazy and a backup offensive line couldn't handle it. And Case Keenum, for the most part, couldn't handle it either. And this team, we've talked about it uh, quite a bit, has to play from ahead. They can't (laughs) get behind like they did today. And they were able to come back and tie the score, I know. But a lot of the mistakes happened. A lot of the sacks happened because they couldn't get up and throw short passes all the time. They couldn't get up and just pound away at the run all the time and hope for an explosive play. They were actually forced to drive down the field with the pass, and that resulted in a big strip sack and a big interception. They came back and tie, tied the score too, in part because the Panthers are stupid. I, that was, oh, right. not, yeah. you know, I mean, what what are you what are you doing on on the drive where if you're Carolina, you go three and out and you're passing the ball and stopping the clock and you've got a comfortable lead. You know, what are you doing there? That uh, that pass that got tipped that Sanejo damn near took back for a touchdown. I saw yeah, those that, things and I'm like, what? What is Carolina even thinking? 
Yeah, why are you even really throwing the ball? Yes, run the ball. Run the ball, run the ball with Cam, run the ball with your uh, longtime running back. Really, uh, Christian McCaffrey was no factor at all today, which the Vikings defense this year has done an amazing job against opposing running backs, and uh, they did really, really well against McCaffrey. But that would have been the point where you throw a screen pass to McCaffrey out of the slot or Mm -hmm. something like that and and try to get yards that way. So, yes, you're right. Carolina's mistake uh, really kept them alive in the game. And then Thielen just makes a great play. But also for the touchdown, Carolina, I mean, did they think the game was over or something and they didn't have to try to tackle again because it seemed like nobody wanted to even tackle Adam Thielen on that play. Yes. So they they did open the door a bit for the Vikings there. But for the most part, when they were put in a situation where they were behind, the offense really wasn't all that successful. And that's the thing. When you go against teams that are pretty good like this, who have a really good quarterback who can go win a game, then you can't fall behind at all. I mean, it sounds like an obvious statement, but there are teams that can fall behind by a score or two, and you feel like, okay, this game isn't even close to over. Someone like Seattle or Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers or something like that. Right. But this team relies so much on running the ball, grinding out the, the, the clock especially, and, and winning that way. And, and that all starts with their offensive line, which brings you back to number one concern, offensive line has to be healthy for this team to win. Absolutely. Now, here here's my conundrum, um, Matthew, with today's game. My conundrum is this. There were a lot of mistakes made that I don't expect to be repeated, certainly not often, by, this, by the Vikings. But today's game, in some ways, if you if you take away the mistakes, there were elements of today's game that, once again, was very much a playoff game. And it gets back to, to the point that you brought up, which is this. In a playoff game, you can have the hubris to simply say, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take a two-touchdown lead or a ten-point lead, and then our defense is going to come in and shut down Team X, Y, or Z. You realistically have to know that that the way today's game went, there were elements of that game that very well could repeat themselves in, in a playoff. As much as the Falcons game last week uh, showed me that there is a definite Vikings blueprint to win a playoff game, today leaves me with a question of, okay, so let's say the defense doesn't play great. Let's say they play well, but let's say they get down by 10. Even if you put this first-team offensive line back in and things are going as well as possible personnel-wise for the Vikings, does this team with Keenum at quarterback have the ability to rally? And I still have no clue if the answer is yes or a definitive no. I don't think that you have a very good chance to win a shootout. I mean, you know, the one game you might try to point to where they didn't play as well defensively was Washington, but at the same time, Washington's defense was so bad that, I mean, they were way up in case Keenum let them back in the game against Washington. You know, I mean, that that game was where, uh, you know, they put some points on them early, and then Washington was playing from way back. So it wasn't like really a true shootout where you have to just keep matching each other points for points for points, and then you get the ball last and win. Um, you know, So that's one thing that we just really haven't seen them do this year. And the two times where they've played games that were just really off, um, their quarterback wasn't able to come back and, and win them the game. Or I guess all three losses are kind of like that. You know, that, you know, Detroit, they had some mistakes against Detroit. They had the fumble on the yep. Wildcat play. They had the Delvin Cook injury fumble. And the same thing with Pittsburgh, where they couldn't overcome some pass interferences and things like that. And <clears throat> excuse me, that I mean that's going that's going back a little ways. But this kind of had that same feel, where you just you had a team where you had to go kind of back and forth with them, or there were some mistakes, and you really couldn't overcome them. And if that happens in a playoff game, 
I, I think the season's going to be over. And that's, and I mean, that, that's the thing that we've just continued to go back to is with Seattle, you watch the Seahawks play, and they might be the best team in the NFC. You watch them play, and they make mistakes. Their offensive line isn't very good. They can't run the ball, and they just win anyway, and they beat great teams anyway. And that's something that the Vikings can't do. What uh, exactly did players and the coaching staff say about the breakdown on Cam's 62-yard run? Because if there was, among the things that were un-Vikings-like in this game today, that is near the top of the list. I mean, Cam's good, I get that, and can certainly run, but when you have a a monumental breakdown that late in the game that goes uh, for 62 yards to the Vikings' eight, that's a lot of guys not doing their job. And and both the 60-yard runs were that way. Yeah, Jonathan Stewart, you're right. Yep. You're just stunned. I mean, I know you are. Now, uh, like you said on Twitter, everybody's got their different explanation, and uh, you know, I asked Xavier Rhodes exactly what he saw on that play, and he said that he kind of he was the last man there and kind of got turned around and didn't really see exactly what happened and kind of blamed it on Cam's raw ability. But it looked like uh, maybe Anderson Dejo had a chance at him and wasn't able to bring him down. And that's but that's Cam Newton. I mean, that's the thing about it. Like. You, you, the 60-yard touchdown run on the ground is the one where you really say, now what the heck was that? That is not at all what this Vikings defense usually gives up because Cam Newton every game or every couple games is going to break off some spectacular play that's about as good as it can happen in the NFL, and that's what that was. And that's what big-time players do at the end of a game. That's why you're Carolina and you have nowhere near as good of an offensive roster as the Vikings, and yet you can score because you have that guy. And so that one, I, I don't really put as much on the Vikings defense because I think a great player made a great play. It was the one where they handed off and went for 60 yards. I said, right from that point, mm-hmm. something, isn't, something just isn't on with this team today because that does not happen. And I looked at the play a couple of times, uh, and I, I couldn't figure out exactly what went wrong, whose assignment got missed there. But it is very unusual that this team would miss an assignment like that. And that's one of the things that I would put under the category of not that big of a deal. Neither yes. one of those things are, are that huge of a deal. Yes. It's just really frustrating if you're the Vikings that this MVP caliber player made an MVP play. A 60-yard run against th- this team shocks us. A Harrison Smith missed tackle. I mean, I, I keep going b- back to it because we never see it happen. So there were certain things. See, I can't get... There were a lot of people, I thought, t- today who got worked up, and I saw the word embarrassing thrown around a couple times. I'm sorry, I cannot get that worked up about this loss. If you can come back with the offensive line intact, I think you learn from this. Um, but for those who thought that you were really going to go to Detroit, Atlanta, and Carolina and just sweep through these games, if I'm the Vikings, I am very concerned about the health of my line right now, but privately, as far as this uh, stretch of games goes, Collar, I'm very pleased. I will take 2-1. and one. I get the, the fact that home field now comes back into play and, uh, and that becomes a potential problem. I totally get that. But I'm sorry, when you, when you got the schedule, if anyone had said to you, you're going to go and win two of the first three, I think privately, if you're the team, you're going to say absolutely. Now, now would, would you hope to avoid the mistakes that you made uh, today in Carolina? Yes, I get that. Uh, but to go with embarrassing and here comes the implosion – uh, to me, that's just, it's like, hold on a second here, folks. This team had won 10 games, and when you're on the road for three consecutive weeks, if you win two of those three, I think you've got to be pretty happy. Yeah, no, I think we're past implosion. I mean, I, I think you've already cleared 
possible implosion. And even if you lose two out of these last three games, it really doesn't mean anything. I mean, at this point, just get into the playoffs. Rest players if you have to. I mean, with if Philadelphia wins their game as we're recording this today against the Rams, uh, you know, then your chances at home field throughout are pretty shot. So forget it. I mean, don't even worry about it. Rest Riley Reef if you have to. Rest Xavier Rhodes if you have to. Just make sure that you're not, uh, you know, sit down Harrison Smith if he'll allow you to. I mean, wh- whatever it takes to make sure that you don't get players injured to go to the playoffs. And if you win in the playoffs, you know, it won't matter what happened in Carolina or wherever else. And I agree with you that two out of three would have been what you would have laid down before the season as you're looking through the schedule. Okay, you're not going to win three straight road games. That's really, really hard. But take two out of three and you're a good team. That's exactly what they did. So I'm with you that there's no reason to freak out. But I would also say this, that if you think that any defense in the NFL today is unstoppable, the Vikings are not unstoppable. They're not the Ravens from 2001. They're not the Tampa Bay Bucks. That just does not really happen anymore. Mm-hmm. And when it did, and when it did happen with the Denver Broncos a couple of years ago, they were much better than the defense that the Vikings have right now. It's a very, very good defense, but it isn't flawless. And yes, they can slow down some good quarterbacks and beat them, but they're also going to get beat sometimes by good quarterbacks too. So that's the thing about you know this offense and the offensive line. It kind of all comes back to that for me is you're going to have to have both sides going because this defense will not win things for you all by itself all the way throughout the playoffs. It might win one game, but it's not you know you're going to face some great quarterbacks. This is a year where the Vikings probably wish they were in the AFC instead of the NFC, right? I Everybody mean, does. Are you kidding? Yes. <laughs> yeah. You're just going to have great quarterbacks from top to bottom. So if you're going to make it, you're going to have to beat those uh, great quarterbacks by outscoring them in at least one or two of those games. What if, if you can find a few things here, what do you think uh, that Carolina uh, potentially exploited? So if you're now, um, well, I don't know, the Bengals are a lost cause, but if you're a team that cares, if you're a team <laughs> that actually, a playoff team that's going to sit down and watch film of the Vikings, what do you think Carolina uh, potentially showed you about the Vikings' offense or defense today that, that can be used against them in a game of, uh, of importance from here on out? Well, isn't that something, though, that you know, if there are concerns uh, over this game, we're not going to know it over the next three weeks unless no. things go really, really badly. Or, or, you know, I mean, Aaron Rodgers could be coming back. Uh, How about the, Pack- the Packers rallied to beat Cleveland? Cleveland was on the precipice of actually winning a football game, Matthew Collar. <laughs> Yes, they were, but instead Brett Hundley came through. So that opens the door for Green Bay to really care about that game, which you yes. and I will be traveling to Lambeau Field for. Um, but, you know, I mean, number one for what Carolina did, I, I think it's really just two things. Number one, what Carolina did was they just pressured Keenum a lot, and then they made plays when they needed to make plays. Uh, on defense, meaning they got the sacks. Yeah, he avoided one, but he couldn't avoid most of them. Uh, you know, this, the idea that he has otherworldly pocket presence because of a couple of plays, I, I don't agree with. And I think we often criticize Sam Bradford for getting rid of the ball too fast, but you needed some of that today from Case Keenum, I think. I think he held the ball too long. I think that there was really much better coverage than I expected. Uh, the linebackers for this was not Luke Keekley's best game, but the linebackers are just fantastic for uh, the Panthers, and I think that made it a little more difficult on him as well. Um, maybe they threw him off with some of the tight man coverage that they played or mm-hmm. some of the times they, I, you know, sometimes I think that they showed blitz and they dropped out of the blitzes. 
you know, things like that. A lot of talent. I think a lot of talent on the Panthers' side. And really, if you rush Keenum, everyone – that's the thing. is Everyone has been acting like he's a magician back there. But that runs out when he gets real, real pressure from all sides like he did today. So that's number one. And I think that several of the teams that are in the playoffs are going to be able to pressure the quarterback, even with a good offensive line. Number two, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's really that their defense has been amazing at not giving up big plays. And, um, yes, it's a pretty obvious statement. Yes, don't give up a big plays. I understand it's an obvious statement. It helps to win football but, games that way, Matthew. But, yeah, it does. You have to take it one play at a time <laughs> and, uh, you know, rise and grind and give 110%. But, I mean, when you, have, when you have a great quarterback on the other side and you give up some explosive plays to that guy, that's where, that's where this defense could potentially get beat because uh, normally they've been good in – in every facet, but today it was just on a couple of plays, and, and that's how they end up losing. The Keenum one, here's where I'll defend him a bit, Matthew. In the last quarter with that line, there are probably maybe fewer than five QBs I could name who, who could still succeed. Russell Wilson mm-hmm. could still succeed. Rodgers, when healthy, absolutely probably still could. Um, but but that that final quarter is, is offensive line Armageddon. I mean, you you can't win with that line. And and basically, what we saw was Shermer's play calling defaulted at times back to, to what he did for Bradford Bradford a year ago. Excuse me. Um, so if Riley Reef comes back and Elfline comes back and Keenum's got some pressure, but it's not constant, it might be a challenge. But I think he can still succeed, and, and his pocket presence can pay off. But if you're talking about, as you put it, the pressure from a team coming from all sides, unless you're about one of three, four guys, you're basically cooked. It's going to be done. And that's why that's why I'm with you. The most important thing coming out of this game is not the loss. It's not the mistakes. It is, are these guys healthy? Because if they're not, and if they're lost uh, for an extended period of time, uh, potentially, especially Reef, you're in massive trouble. I mean, I can't, yeah, I, I can't understate how big a trouble that you would be in. And in this game, at one point, you had four players that weren't there, la- or that, yeah, weren't there in their spot from last week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you had Rashad Hill playing left tackle instead of right. You had Jeremiah Searles on the right side, which we know is not a really good combination. You had Danny Isidore in, and he's okay, but he's a rookie and he's still coming along, and he had to face one of the best three technique defensive tackles in the NFL and got demolished. He's so good. And then, yeah, and then Nicky, yeah, Kawan Short is on oh, And then fun to watch. You, then you have Nick Easton, who is a very good guard, in my opinion, at what he does best, which is, you know, being quick and bringing some toughness. But he's not a good center, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, when they were battling he and Pat Elfline during the preseason, I thought, man, Pat Elfline better win this job because if he can't beat out Easton for center position – then uh, I'm going to worry a little bit about him. And then, you know, obviously Elfline is is just such a huge, huge difference maker. I mean, he's got the leadership, the smarts. He's great in the run game. I mean, you saw the run game fail early every time they tried to run it up the middle. Well, you didn't have your number one run blocker who's that, you know, all-star rookie center. I mean, it was a huge, huge, huge deal with the health. I think it all comes back to that. At the same time, I would also look at the turnovers by Case Keenum and say every one of those was on him in one way or another. And the interception that he throws down the field to start the game, they had just gotten a big third down. Yep. 
And so you're thinking, okay, well, all right, we're about to start this game with the score here and start moving down the field. And it was kind of an inexplicable play. He just tossed it up there, and uh, there was good coverage on that play. It was Farvinian, Matthew. It was Farvinian. (laughs) It really was. Farv doesn't underthrow, though. Farv overthrows. No, but just Uh, the curious decision was, was, was like that. Yes, yes, totally, totally. It was, I mean, Cam does the same thing. But yes. Cam, again, like Favre, has the rocket arm. And, and it was it was very much like, okay, second down, and now I'm just going to just launch this ball up there. And that's not generally outside of maybe one or two games. That's not really how Case Keenum has won games. Mm-hmm. So I, that was really puzzling to me right from the beginning, trying to take that shot. And so all three turnovers were really bad and 100% on Case Keenum. And that's where that's where you would say okay, you're concerned about the quarterback position because every once in a while, every couple of weeks, it's sort of cropped up where he makes the throws against Washington that Mike Zimmer was still talking about as of last week. He was still upset about them, mm-hmm. that he, he brought them up. And then, you know, these today, I'm sure that Keenum is not going to take any real heat from the team. He certainly didn't from his teammates um, for his performance because they did give up so much pressure and because they had the injuries. But you know that Mike Zimmer is driven insane by the turnovers and things like that. And those, those turnovers, at least two of them, were uh, really kind of inexplicable why he held on to the ball so long in the pocket on the one play. Yep. And then especially, and especially that throw to, to Stephon Diggs. And that's the, the one thing that when you get into the playoffs cannot happen. He either has to eat the ball or throw the ball away. He has to find a way. You cannot go into a playoff game. He, he can get sacked, and it can be a problem, but you cannot go into a playoff game and have his line be uh, two picks and, and a fumble. If you come out of a playoff game with that line for Keenum, your season, I'm almost positive, is done. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. And that's the thing. It kind of goes back to, you know, he didn't have a consistent running game to help him out. And, you know, today play action didn't exist for them. I mean, that was one thing. If you can find ways, and especially with the blitz. Last year, Keenum was really – he handled the blitz early in the game a little better, but against the blitz last year he was really, really poor. And the one thing that the blitz does is it takes away his ability to – you know, fake that handoff and bring in the linebackers. And then if you can drop those linebackers back underneath, it makes it a lot harder for Adam Thiel and Stephon Diggs to find the wide open space. They were still able to do it at times throughout this game, but uh, it makes it a lot more difficult. That's one of the things that they've done so brilliantly this year with the play action is just bring in those linebackers and leave the middle of the field open, but yet not a whole lot of pressure. In this game, Carolina brought the pressure and made it more difficult so they couldn't succeed basically trying to do what they do best, which is the play-action play. And this all goes back uh, to, to what we talked about on the Purple Podcast this week before, which was this. If you're going to try to beat the Vikings in a playoff game, what's the blueprint? And the blueprint, I think we both agree, is starting with beating up Keenum and starting with, because there's, if once again, Collar, if you go outside of that list of about five QBs, if I pressure you consistently and I fluster you, guess what? You're not. You're going to start to struggle. You're going to start to get frustrated. You're going to start to make dumb throws at times. I mean, there is a there is such a small list, and this and this goes back to why finding an elite uh, quarterback becomes so important because the normal list of quarterbacks that we could run through right now, and Keenum's had a very nice and special year, and I get all that. But if we go through the list of of QBs who, who are just QBs, and they can be good and they can be bad at times. 
if you can find ways to fluster them and take away play action and those things, they are not going to have good days. They are not going to. And they can't single-handedly then say, bleep it, this is my deal, and I'm going to be fine, and I'm going to run around, and I'm going to buy time. Eventually, for those guys, they become normal QBs, and that's where it gets so difficult in the playoffs to actually win games. And where it's going to be really interesting for me over these next three weeks is, all right, so Cincinnati looks like they've given up, but they're going to be playing their head coaches, former defensive coordinator, and they're going to want to bounce back from an embarrassing game. Potentially, they have talent on defense. Mm-hmm. They're, not a, they're not a great team by any means, and you should beat them. But will their defense do some of the same things? Will they take away the play action? Will they pressure Keenum? as much my guess right now just if i had to purely guess i would say riley reef is probably not playing next week from how that looked in the locker room that that's entirely a guess but if he's not playing how do they handle that against cincinnati when they can pressure the quarterback pretty well and how do uh, the packers play if they're i mean if they're still in the race if they beat carolina next week and they're still in the race and all of a sudden that game means everything to them uh, at lambeau do teams start to take away some of the things that Carolina did to Keenum and do them to him uh, down the stretch? And then things could get really interesting. But if he just bounces back over the next couple of weeks, then you know, you're know you going to feel a lot more confident going into uh, the playoffs, even if you still remember that some of these losses, <laughs> yes. you know, that, that's what happened. And he was capable of turning the ball over. And, I mean, the Washington – imagine imagine how different this would be if Washington – had you remember they kicked a ridiculous stupid field goal in that game and like imagine if they had gone down and somehow pulled off the win after Keenum had thrown those interceptions mm-hmm. I mean, you you wonder I mean, you just wonder how things might be different and how we view him might be different because it's always easier to forget those plays when uh, you know they they end up winning the game but that I mean that's going to be the biggest thing to watch for me because you know how much it drives Mike Zimmer crazy when there's turnovers like that yes. from the quarterback. So what what is that going to look like over the next three weeks? Do they bounce back, or do they uh, you know have some more tough times? Because then I think we're uh, we're getting back in. I know you guys on the show banned the Teddy Bridgewater conversation, but that crops up again. Oh no, uh, that I think that might come back. I think I might be I fined on Monday several times because that's going to come. Now, now I'm not saying it's the time to make the change right now. But I'm with you. The one thing that's going to drive everybody at Winter Park, uh, Zimmer and Spielman and everybody up the wall is if we're talking about the potential for for throwing picks. Because if you turn the ball over, that is death to playoff chan- or to playoff games in playoff games. Yep, and I You're think right? next week next week will probably determine whether there's any chance that we see Bridgewater as a starter this year. I mean, okay, week 17 maybe they put him in in garbage time for the second half or something if the if they if it's over if they've already clinched the playoff spot but if if that is in consideration at all of still turning things over to Bridgewater uh, if next week they go in there and Keenum bounces right back and he has a real good game and everything's all set then okay then that conversation is off the table again but i think if they had just lost this game and Keenum just didn't play that well then okay th- then we wouldn't talk about it at all but the fact that he threw two really poor interceptions and the fact that he gave up that fumble, that's where you start to say, okay, the door has been sort of cracked open again a little bit on that. But, I mean, I, I would say I would not pin this loss necessarily on him. I no. think it was, it was the, the combination of a bunch of things. I just know that 
since Zimmer was still talking about Washington, that that's what sticks out in his mind. And that's where he might think, you know, I remember a quarterback who didn't really turn the ball over a whole lot. You know what I mean? You yeah. And I don't. The wheel, you can see the wheels turning there. I'm with you here. Um, I in no way, shape, or form am, am even insinuating that that Keenum cost them this game. I do think there are talking points off this game after his performance that certainly will be discussed internally by the Vikings. And and to me, that's always important to go back to that and to go back to the fact that there has never been, and probably rightfully so, there's never been an extended vote of confidence from the coach given to the QB. And so you can't just look at the two picks today or the fumble and say it's no big deal. Everything at this point in time, especially especially when, when you're now in a stretch of games where some of these games, Falcons, Panthers, maybe Green Bay, can slightly mirror playoff games, and then some don't at all. Like Cincinnati's not going to. Chicago's not no. going to. So so to not take the Falcons game or today's game uh, in Carolina, to not take those and try and re- read into them a little bit is a big mistake because this is this is your view of, okay, what's it th- it's sort of going to look like in January? This is basically largely it. So, yeah, I think that it's more than fair uh, to to have this discussion, but that does not mean that you're you're pinning the loss on on one player or in this case Case Keenum. No, definitely not. Definitely not. I mean, this was a hundred percent a group effort, and the defense had chance, a couple of chances to win them this game, and they didn't do it either. And especially at the end, I mean, if they get a turnover or if they get a three and out there, then you might be set up in great position to uh, you know win that game on a field goal or something like that. Um, instead, you know, they, you give up a 62-yard run to, to Cam Newton, just set up you know, the easy game-winning score. So the, it, this overall loss goes on a lot of different people, and uh, you know, you wouldn't pin it on Keenum. It just the conversation is still going to linger, mm-hmm. um, e- even though I guess after last week you sort of felt like the door was closed on it a little more. But it was kind of like get over this one more hurdle. I mean, we talked about this going into Atlanta that these two games would determine whether we were done talking about that or not. And here, well, this one didn't exactly end that conversation. One did and one didn't. Uh, last thing f- for you, sir, and th- this is a this is off today's game, but a big-picture uh, conversation that's been had for a long time here now. When is this league going to figure out how to, to define a catch? Adam Thielen... Oh, Adam Thielen has that ball. Now, he dropped the one. He comes back and makes what, to me, looked like a very nice catch, got his feet down. And as he's coming down, in control of the ball, he falls out of bounds. And at the end of the catch, when, by the way, he is out of bounds, he is now out of play, he loses control. They then say, you didn't control the whole thing through the catch, which I would come back and say, no, actually, he did while he was in play. And then when he was out of play, he didn't. I, I don't understand, and this is not from the viewpoint of a Vikings fan. If this was the Panthers, I'd say the same thing. I don't understand how we can't get a definition of something that, to me, looks so crystal clear and something that, to them, they are hell-bent on trying to make as confusing as possible. I think Help that me. this could be easier. It could be easier. Oh, I have no explanation for why they haven't been able to figure this out for years and years and years. But was that not a catch I mean, to you? Uh, no, to me, it's a catch. Yeah. To me, it should be. Now, the the rule, I know the rule. By the rule, it's not a catch. The referees called it correctly. So I'm not criticizing the referees. It's more the NFL rulebook. But to me, a guy gets the ball, and he's got it 
secured and he goes to the ground where he's down, like with his knee down, and then he doesn't lose the ball. Like it doesn't pop out. Mm-hmm. Then it doesn't hit the ground. To me, that's a catch. Not did it shuffle or move a little bit. Like we have these super slow, ridiculous, uh, you know, slow motion and all this stuff that we can look at it a hundred different times, a hundred different ways. And I mean, the football moves all the time, no matter what. I mean, you'd have to have this thing in clamps to have it not move when you slam your body against the ground. I mean, that, that just to me is absurd. I mean, who knows how the game goes differently if you know that's a touchdown instead. Maybe it still ends up being exactly the same way. But I think that probably would have reshaped this game a bit and maybe uh, changed the outcome of it. And it's based on what? The, a little slide of the ball in his hands? I mean, that, that, just, that just seems crazy to me. And I, I think that should be the way it is. If you catch it and you go all the way down to the ground, if it moves, that's fine as long as it doesn't pop out and end up on the ground or as long as you don't have to trap it. Because you know, I like to uh, – you'll be surprised by this, Judd. I like to go back and watch some old games, you know. I I'm, didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, right, I great. thought I knew, I knew you so well. I didn't. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, uh, in my in my free time, I would watch more tape. Um, but so I, I'll go, you know, YouTube and watch some some old games. And I was watching not too long ago. I was watching the uh, Steelers and Indianapolis Colts AFC Championship game, and there's a throw in that one where it's, it's kind of the exact same thing, where the guy catches it and he goes down, and then the ball basically jumbles around, and maybe he even drops it. And at that point, that was a catch, and I think it should be. That made me say, all right, that. The guy definitely caught it. He took it to the ground and out of bounds to the point where he's down. Okay, he's got it. And instead, now by the rule, he is not. And I, I think that that should be a little different. But um, in this case, it, at least the, the referees did not do anything wrong uh, with that call. Right. No, my problem is is that, that he actually lost control out of bounds. He had, it, yeah. he had yeah. control. In my opinion, if you have control of the football inbounds, since it doesn't count, since the play is dead upon your on your going out, out of bounds, why are we ho- holding that against him? It's completely crazy. I want you at some point in time, uh, Collar, I want you to go back and watch a touchdown catch in uh, the Super Bowl between Dallas and Pittsburgh in the late 70s, I believe, uh, uh-huh. at the Rose Bowl, if I'm not mistaken, in which uh, Jackie Smith of, I believe, the tight end for the Cowboys makes a touchdown catch, which was ruled a touchdown. Um, it will make you laugh. Because now that play wouldn't even get to review. Now they would just say it's an incompletion. And but at least back then, I felt like I, as a fan, had a much better idea of what was what. Now I have. Now I watch these things, and I'm like, oh, huh? And you know, going back to Des Bryant, Calvin Johnson, who put the ball down basically, and they said he didn't complete oh. it. I mean, just all of these things. I don't. The one thing about sports that can drive me crazy is when the sport itself including my sport, hockey, makes things far more difficult than they need to be. And you say to yourself, why don't you just clean up the rule and make it so we can all say, hey, you know what, Thielen caught a touchdown there, or clearly he didn't instead of we're going to have to go through the process, and I think the process might show it's not a catch. Yeah, and I think they have a 100% reasonable gripe if uh, they won't win any sort of, you know, they're not going to get any sort of apology from the league because that's the rule, but I think they have a reasonable gripe on that one and I mean the rest of the game I thought was fine from uh, you know the standpoint of the referees or anything else I don't think that there were any other outside factors that hurt them in this game but that one really might have changed uh, everything that happened the rest of the way because we just talked about how they 
uh, they're definitely a team that needs to play from ahead. And at that point, they would, I forget what the score would have been, but I mean, that would have made a huge difference as far as them playing from ahead and maybe trying to establish a, a running game or a screen game. I mean, that was the other thing that surprised me today is that, and maybe this was because they got behind, but they just, there was no real screen game. And if you could take away screen game and play action, that's like what the whole offense is based around. That's what sets up those plays that they do hit farther down the field. Yep. And that it, we were talking about that. If that's the way, if there's one way to eliminate what this team does really well and what Case Keenum's strengths are, I do not think his strengths are sitting in the pocket and letting routes develop and then firing bullets down the field. I think it's very much getting setting guys up for yards after catch and things like that. And Carolina did a great job of not allowing them to do that. I believe uh, Jarek was t- taken out of the game largely in the second half because he had seven carries for 46 yards in the first half. And I'm trying to find his stats here, but I think they, uh, I think they did a very good job of uh, of either doing something that uh, that took him out, or the Vikings did not use him nearly as much as you would have expected after he had a good uh, opening half. Yep, and that was entirely because they just had to pass and pass and pass. And, and But, you know, the fact that he wasn't a huge part of that passing game is a great job by Carolina. And yep. I mean, that's one that I'll have to watch film and report back to you on what exactly they did in the second half to take that away. But I think number one is, is probably just create pressure without needing to send too many blitzers. And that's something that, you know, Carolina loves to blitz, but if you don't make them because they're getting pressure with their front four and, you know, Julius Peppers was good today, got in there, and made a sack. Mario Addison was a guy that we talked about uh, leading up to this game on one of the Purple podcasts that we did. Like he's a good player, and they get after it. And that's the thing: uh, if, if you're if you're going to win in the playoffs, it's going to have to come against the team with a great defensive line. You are either going to have to beat Seattle or Philadelphia to get to the Super Bowl. Uh huh. One of those two, and those two have the two best defensive lines with the Vikings in the NFC. And so they, you're going to face a lot of the similar things that you saw today, and that's why you need Elfline. That's why you need Reef. That's why it can't be anybody playing dinged up on that front line. Orbath miss. D- did that get tipped at the line? I couldn't tell on TV. Uh, it, the 54-yarder. It like, yeah, no, it looked like it, but I'm not sure. Right. I mean, it was it was cold here, and you know, you're kicking on grass, so... I mean, maybe when he was kicking Philadelphia, them, Philadelphia has grass and it gets cold in Philadelphia, Matthew. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. <laughs> but I mean, he was he was kicking them pregame and he wasn't making them from any more than maybe 50 yards. OK, so it looked like it was just a tough day to kick. And, uh, you know, I was actually a little surprised when they even went for that. Might be a tough day in Philadelphia, too. You never know. In January, field gets frozen there or it gets cold there. So, all right, sir, unless you've got more, I'm done. I do not. We will uh, talk a little more during the week. All right. That's another edition of the Purple Podcast. Of course, um, check out Purple Podcast with Matthew Collar and a variety of guests uh, throughout the week. I'm guessing you're going to be doing another one on Wednesday. Is that correct? If not earlier? Uh, Yes, probably. All right. Thank you, Collar. Appreciate it. (laughs) Safe travels back from Carolina. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, or pie made with fresh, cosmic, crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 
This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.